Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, beautiful one. Welcome to the Fuck It Up Comedy Club podcast. I'm your host, Kima Bob, and you are now tuned in to an unapologetic celebration of comedians of color who are not cis men. And I cannot believe that I've said that 20 times. And I cannot believe that this is the last episode of the season. Honestly, it's blowing my mind. Um, Like, over this season, we've had like 50, over 50 different comedians of color who are not cis men on this podcast. And that just makes me, oh, nope, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna cry. I'm not in the intro, not in the intro. Anyway, today we have a special one for you. Um, I had the pleasure of interviewing is a strong word having a chat with jansu karabiyik the founder of um producer of fuck it up in new york um the founder of laughter for change uh an incredible person and i'm not gonna get too deep into the intro because you're gonna hear a lot more from jansu in a second um yeah yeah let's fucking get into it Jancy, thank you so much for um, making time in your busy schedule to like catch up and have a chat with me. Thank you for having me. It's not been busy at all, actually. How's it? More busy. So you you've been uh, back in London for like a week. Yeah. Uh, what have you been up to? I just wanted to do comedy just mm. every night out here, and I have a lot of friends who live in London, so we spending the day meeting up, catching up with people, and then the evenings just doing comedy. So it's been really lovely. Mm. Yeah. So, because you used to live here. Yeah. I know this. Yeah. They won't know this. But um, you're Kurdish. Yeah. You grew up in Denmark for yes. a bit. And then you're living in the, the UK. Yeah. And now you're in New York. Can you take me through, like, for sure. that journey? Yeah. I My family are Kurdish immigrants from Turkey. Mm. So they came in the 70s to work in the factories and stuff. You know, so I grew up in Denmark. I was born in Denmark. I lived there until I was 23. Is there a big, like, uh, like a Kurdish community in Denmark? Oh, it's huge. Yeah. That's what's up. It's huge. All over Europe, really. You know how in Germany it's like yeah. 10% of the population? It's similar. I always wonder, like... Why and how? Do you know what right. I mean? Like, the, the, did the Denmark people do something? Mm-hmm. Oh, they, shit. They put out an invitation. To, <laughs> yeah, they were like, hey, labor people, come and work for us. Yeah. So they were like... We got these jobs. We got this money. Exactly. They were like, we don't have people to work. It's, you know, post-Cold War yeah. and all of that. So, or it was, I guess, during... I know. Um, yeah, I don't know. This isn't a right. fucking history podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no one cares about history. No. Um, they were like uh, people to in Pakistan and then and Turkey got invitations to come and work mm. in Denmark and Norway and Sweden. So they just like packed up all these Sick. men just packed up their bags. They came and then they found out, hey, life is actually really easy in Denmark. Mm. So then they brought their yeah. families. That's how we all ended That's up what's there. Up. Yeah. That's so sweet as well. Hustlers. Yeah. Now, did the uh, white people of Denmark 
Have they since then forgotten that they invited and are mad that so many brown people are there? Oh my god, yes. <laughs> they always forget. <laughs> they, they always, always forget. forget. <laughs> <laughs> so your family were in Denmark and you grew up there and then you did you go was it Oxford, Cambridge? Cambridge, yeah. One of the yeah. smarty pants uh <laughs> Somehow I don't know how I ended up there Like the entire time I was there I was like Do they know I'm here? <laughs> like, it was imposter syndrome But basically Yeah so when I was 23 I was like Want to go abroad Study Go away from my family It's very conservative And you know You just you ha- You're just one thing In mm. society as well Two white people You're this one thing mm. You can't escape from it So I obviously uh, Wanted to go abroad To be, be whoever Explore. I wanted to be I get yeah. that. I totally get that. Yeah. yeah. So I went to California for like six months Classic. to study. Yeah. And then I was like, you know what? It's fun being abroad. I'm not going to go back just yet. So mm. I went to Portugal for a year to mm. study as well. What can I ask? What were you studying in California and Portugal? Yeah. So I was doing a master, master's in biomedicine mm. and specifically focusing on neuroscience. So I was in California. I was just doing a part of my master's at University of California. Mm. In San Diego. So I was just doing classes. But then in Portugal, I was doing research in stroke, in brain strokes, you know? Nice. Yeah. I feel like, I think that's so, um, a lot of people don't see education as like a vehicle to like travel. Right. Um, so that's how I ended up here was, um, I was getting a master's in television. I was like, hopefully I'll be able to work in the industry. Cool. But my good friend, um, who uh, studied to be a medical doctor, she came here to do like a master's in public health and then went to like Grenada to like continue like studying before she went to like Miami uh, and now she's in D.C. And I think like, yeah, if anyone's listening in uh, America, this is horrible financial advice, but I think pretty decent travel advice. You can use U.S. government student loans outside of America, and they don't tell you this. Wow. Yeah, so I basically use student loans to come study in the U.K., and, um, you know, as you'll know, the school fees are a lot less here, so my money went a lot further as well. I guess that's what they don't tell you. They don't. They don't want you to know. They don't want you to get out and explore, like, what else you can be. Mm. Well, so you went to L.A., then you went to Portugal. Yeah. And while I was in Portugal, I kind of had this whole big identity crisis, and I I realized how racist Denmark was. I knew Mm. all along, right? Mm. But I was always in the system. I was fighting to changes, doing all this dialogue, public speaking work, and being involved with all these organizations to sort of create a bit of Denmark for brown people. Mm. You were doing that when you were there, kind of yeah. like politically engaged. Oh, all, all the time. This is why I fuck since, with you. Yeah, since I was like 18, <laughs> yeah. And it's hard, right, when you take on that task and you're like, I'm going to fix this place. I'm going to make it mine. I'm mm. going to work for it to be my home. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because, one, you're one person, but also mm-hmm. you should be living your life. Exactly. Why yeah. is this our responsibility? Yeah. A lot of my public speaking work was about you know, getting rid of hate towards mm. POCs. Mm-hmm. It's like, why is that my, I'm, I'm 19. Yeah. How do I have to do this? Yeah, right? you're supposed to be out in the streets getting drunk and slurping on genitals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're supposed to be doing all sorts of nonsense. Exactly. But it's this big burden. And so when I was abroad in Portugal, they had elections and it was so racist. The political discourse was so horrendous that mm. I just like lost my national identity. And I didn't feel like it was my home anymore. So I was like, you know what? In that case, I don't have to move back. Damn. 
I, I don't, it's yeah. not my home. I can go yeah. anywhere I want. And the education allows you to, right? So mm. that's when I moved to the UK. It was funny because I moved here and then they voted leave. <laughs> perfect yeah. timing. When did your uh, comedy, like when did you get into stand-up? Because what I've noticed about your stand-up is even when you're not being like, uh, I wouldn't say when you're not being political, even when you're not talking about uh, like classically like subjects that have been classically considered to be political, like literally right. governments right. and shit of that <laughs> nature, I still feel like you have this like no nonsenseness about you. And I think it's really fucking cool to know that you've been like no nonsense from like early days <laughs> doing public speaking and stuff like that. But right. yeah, when did you decide that stand-up should be a part of it. It's funny because I, I, when I went to Cambridge, there was this one person in my my course who was like, I'm trying to get more women into comedy. She was from mm. Portland, this white woman. She was like, I want to get more. Oh, yeah. a white woman from <laughs> Portland? It just sounds like like fucking comedy Jesus. You know? <laughs> she was like, I'm trying to get more women into comedy. Yeah. And there are these like female colleges at Cambridge. Mm. So she had organized this night and she put on this workshop. And one, she had a comedian trying to Kate Smurthway. Mm. come and teach like a little course yeah and, yeah and they're yeah. from the streets right yeah. yeah and she she got all of these women from our course we just rocked up because we were like freshers right we wanted to be involved with anything mm. we went to this thing we were doing the workshop and i realized every time i stood up and said something everyone started laughing mm. i was like wait i think this is actually easy <laughs> you're like hold <laughs> on am i Fucking Am I? hilarious. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, why is this so easy to make people laugh? And obviously I was confident on the stage because I had done all this public speaking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I knew how to talk. I knew how to like, so, so that it just began that way. And then it was like, crack. I couldn't stop performing. Once yeah. I had that feeling of going on stage, saying something, making people laugh, I couldn't stop. It's so. interesting because uh, what does it feel like for you? And, oh, so you have all this, like, neuroscience, whatever, whatever. <laughs> I don't mean to, I don't mean to get so excited. I don't know. Like, okay, so, but, like, for me, there's the kind of, there's the buildup of the pre-show. And at this point in my career, I'll, I'll be honest, there are, and I feel like you relate to this as well, there are gigs that you don't get nervous about, and it mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you don't care, mm-hmm. but there are gigs that you get nervous about, and it's very obvious that you do care. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So when the, there are the like ones where it feels like there are higher stakes, there's that anxiety and that buildup before, I hope it goes well, et cetera. Mm-hmm. There's the um, presence that you feel when you're on stage, connecting with the audience in the moment, right? And I find that stand-up works best when you're present. You can't just be spouting off your lines not there. Right. Like, you need to be there to feel the connection in the room and to play off of it. And then there's that kind of come down after. How, How do you relate to that kind of, like, process and that feeling of, like, loving that kind of cycle you know yeah I'm always so hyped up when I get off a show like out Mm. of a show and like so I have all this energy and I think I carry that into my day job right you mentioned the neuroscience Mm. I carry that all that positive energy into my daytime job because that's less rewarding yeah and can I ask is your job stressful because uh, will you tell us what it is? And then, because right. it to me, it sounds serious, but it sounds very stimulating. But I wonder, is it stressful? And um, is it sometimes sad? It's often sad because, so I'm a, a scientist. I work as a postdoctoral scientist 
at Columbia University. And in that job, I'm, you know, I have a project on neuropsychiatry. I'm developing, I'm doing these experiments in the lab. Often they, they fail, you know, they mm-hmm. fail until they work, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of just failed experiments, failed hypotheses. So a lot of it's just like an uphill battle, right? Does it feel like when you're trying to find a good pair of jeans and you have to try on like 20 and exactly. they don't fit and then like you find one, but like the waist is still a little big? Exactly. <laughs> and you're like, I guess I'll wear this until I find something else. Yeah, oh yeah. And then you also like, is it my body or is it the system? Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, yeah a lot just, of disappointment before you. For sure. It's a lot of hating yourself and you're like, mm. oh, I guess like I should do something different. I should lose some weight, right? Like, or mm. I should start squatting it's a mm. lot of that kind of mindset when you're in the lab it's always like changing yourself changing something so because of that comedy has just like allowed me to find something where you can make steady progress mm-hmm. the more you perform the mm-hmm. better you get right mm. the more time you spend on stage the, the more involved you get so there's a like constant reward in comedy wow that's so interesting because i think for a lot of people um comedy would you know it, it holds a lot of risk and it still mm-hmm. does for you but yeah. I think that's interesting, that kind of safety and that assuredness. And like, no, the more I hit the stage, like you can see the progress. You can see movement. Right. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I found that in New York because in New York, I was like, why are these people so obsessed with performing Mm. three to five shows a day? Mm. Right. And I was I started noticing when I was on stage every single night, you know, the comfort of being on stage, Mm -hmm. like, you know, holding the audience and manage like that it changes. And if mm-hmm. I'm not on a stage for a whole week and then mm-hmm. I get back on stage, I can feel that difference getting mm-hmm. back into it. So definitely it helps you progress so much. So I really enjoy it. I love being on stage. I'm so glad. Yeah. I'm glad that you found it. I'm glad that you have it. Um, how would you describe your comedy and your like comedic style? Oh, that's a good question. I never thought about that. I don't know. I think it's like I'm more, I say things, I know that I say things that can be considered, you know, mean, like it's political mm. commentary, social commentary. Mm. But I, I always, feel like you don't like pull punches. Right. Or whatever. I, but a lot of those yeah. punches need to be fucking thrown, you right. know? Yeah. Definitely like punch up, not down kind mm, of a person. Mm, like mm. I live by that. But um, it would be a lot of commentary, but I do it with a smile. You know, one of the comics here in, in, in London used to say to me, you say these things that a lot of people would be offended by, but you say it with a smile so you get away with it. Mm. It's like, yeah, I'm having yeah. fun saying these things. It's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of these things need to be said. For sure. Please welcome her to the stage warmly and show her all the love. It's Jamsu Karabiyak! <laughs> What's up, London? How's it going? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I just got in from New York last night. Um, I actually haven't lived in the U.S. For, for a long time. I moved there last year. I was a bit worried about the whole border control situation for a couple of reasons. First of all, I'm Muslim and Middle Eastern, you know. <laughs> Americans are not big fans. Yeah. We are to America what... Tory prime ministers are to British politics. <laughs> Unpopular. <laughs> but also the real reason I was worried was because years ago I went to study abroad in California because that's what they told us to do, right? Go study abroad, expand your mind and learn new things. I learned one new thing. It's that 
I look Mexican. Every single person I met thought I was Mexican. Even Mexicans did. You know what that makes me? I'm a Mexican-looking Muslim. Americans are terrified of me. Guys, I'm Donald Trump's worst nightmare. Yeah. Where do you think he's been this whole year? You're welcome. Yeah. New York is a different though. In New York, no one thinks I'm Mexican. In New York, I'm Puerto Rican. My first week in New York, this old Puerto Rican man comes up to me. He says, you Puerto Rican? I go, no. And he goes, it's not a disease. You can say yes. I was like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. I was just pretending to be Mexican this whole time. No, but my friends were really excited about me moving to New York because they were like, you've been single for a minute and New York has the most singles in the world. There is a reason for that. Oh my God, I've never met this many people in my life that I thought deserved to die alone. Any single people, give me a cheer. Yeah, I, too many, right? That's too many. I know it sucks here too, because I've been through this scene as well. Still single, yeah. Yeah. Do you guys ever go on a date with just the intention of hooking up? Hell yeah, me and these hoes, hell yeah. Sometimes I'm like, I'll hook up with this guy as long as he doesn't say something problematic. That's a really high bar for a man. I went on a date with this one guy in New York. He asked me what I missed the most about Europe. I said, socialism, you know. It's the small things in life, you know, like freedom and shit, right? Here's the thing, I'm a socialist. This guy was a finance bro. I'm sure he still is, unless he OD'd from all that cocaine. I don't know. But he surprised me. He said, I too believe in equal opportunity for all. In my mind, I was like, yes, talk dirty to me. But then he said, I don't believe in free education or free healthcare. I'm sorry, what? That's a paradox, right? That's a paradox. That's like saying you like facts, but you also like the Joe Rogan podcast. Like, come on. <laughs> It's like if someone who's been a vegan their whole life says they're happy. <laughs> I forgot this is a lesbian crowd, okay. <laughs> I just feel like if you've never had cheese before, you might not know what happiness is, but that's just me. <laughs> I am bad at dating though. I was seeing this one guy in New York. One day he turned to me, he said, I know who it is you remind me of. He went, Nala. I was like, who the fuck is Nala? That better not be your ex. Do you guys know who Nala is? Lion King. Yeah. He said Nala from the Lion King. I was like, first of all, racist. I don't know why, but that seems racist to me. Right? Fucked up. I remind you of an animated lioness drawing. Like, what? Who says that? Can we all do that now? What if I was like, you know who it is you remind me of? John Smith. That's right, the white colonizer from Pocahontas. I went there. See, it's not fun, right? Give me a cheer if you've ever been ghosted before. You guys sound too happy about that. I don't know. Give me a cheer if you have ever ghosted someone. Yeah, people in London suck too. All right. Did you notice? Those were the exact same people. Right? That's what we do. We can't commit to shit. We just ghost each other. 
I'm okay with that. It's an easy way to replace old fuckboys with new fuckboys. Just keep it going, right? What I don't like is when people try to come back. This one guy I used to date in London messages me every year. Every year, December 25th. He goes, Merry Christmas. I'm Muslim. Worst of all, he's Muslim. How desperate can you be, right? I hate that. When they do that, they disappear, they come back. I call it that, that thing they do, I call it the Jesus syndrome. You know how Jesus disappeared 2,000 years ago? One day this motherfucker is going to come back like nothing's happened. Like he didn't just ghost us for 2,000 years. Jesus is the oldest ever fuckboy. One day we're all getting a text from Jesus going, Hey, you up? Are you guys ready? It's going to happen. I'm going to be like, Jesus Christ, man. Why the fuck are you back? I'm going to tell him, I moved on, Jesus. I'm with someone else now. His name is Muhammad. <laughs> I'm gonna tell Jesus about all these other religions we fucked with while he was gone, because I'm spiteful like that. I'm gonna be like, did you hear about Mormonism? That's right. Did you hear about Scientology? Yeah. Did you hear about yoga? Yeah. It's the religion of white women, right. Did you guys see, ever see those AI photos of what Jesus would have looked like? Anyone remember those? If you haven't, don't bother. He looks like every guy that, that works at Edgeware Road. <laughs> if you saw Jesus on the street, you'd be like, Muhammad, that falafel was fantastic. That's a great British accent. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> oh man, yeah. All right, give me a cheer if you've ever said, I love you to someone you were romantically involved with. All right, you're just bragging now. Okay. More than three? Give me a cheer. That, that wasn't a cheer. Give me a cheer if you've said I love you to more than three people. Okay, all right. More than five? Give me a cheer. Wow. Some of you are either really good at dating or you just have really low standards. I don't know. No, I'm, I'm no one to judge. I've never said I love you to anyone. Never, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I feel attacked. This is supposed to be a safe space, okay. I think I know why. I think it's because of my parents. Because you're supposed to blame your parents for everything. But in my case, I think it's true. My parents have been married for 35 years. They've never said I love you to each other. It'd be weird if they did, because they don't speak English. But also in our own language. Never heard them say that. Never. Because what, the, what does I love you really mean? It means nothing, right? Tell me what you're going to do for me is what I want to know. That's what I want to know. My parents are the most loving people ever. I will tell my mom, I have a headache. She'll go, I wish I could take your pain and make it mine. That's a bit much. That's a bit much. We're not in a Brazilian soap opera, right? And it doesn't end there. It goes on. She went, she went, I would sacrifice myself for you, for you to not have any pain. These are real sayings we have. I'm like, I think I'll just take some painkillers, but thanks for the offer. It's a weird thing to say, man. You two dating? 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 Here? You're all just fucking, no one's dating. Okay. This is what's wrong with the world. All of us are single. No one wants to commit, right? 
No, I, I'm just wondering, you know, if you'd ever say that to someone you were dating. Like, I would sacrifice myself for you? For these fuckboys? Get the fuck out of here! Man, okay. <laughs> That's just me having a little therapy session. You guys have been wonderful. Give it up for your hosts, everyone! <laughs> Absolutely phenomenal, brilliant person. I've gone to New York one time in my life and it was last winter yeah. and we tried to catch up, but then yeah. I got COVID, I got Omicron, oh, uh, the sneezy one. <laughs> um, it was so insane because I went to like a Broadway show and it was very crowded and there were people all around me. And uh, you know, Basically, it felt like when I tested positive, I just thought back to the moment. And I was like, probably watching the fucking Book of Mormon, which is racist. Mm -hmm. It's actually very fucking racist. Yeah. I thought it was just going to be hilarious, good times. And I was like, this is fucked up. But it's kind of satirical, no? It's Isn't it making yeah. fun of it being racist? But the thing is, I feel like it's not as, I don't think it's as self-aware. I don't think it's as aware as it needs to be. Mm. And something that... Um, acts in the favor of that thought is uh, the actors. I think when there was a kind of racial reckoning in 2020, a lot of the actors from the show were like, we're not going to continue to perform the show as is because it makes us uncomfortable and it's actually really offensive oh. to be in. Um, and so the version that I saw was actually the rewrite that the actors like approved of or felt more comfortable with. And I still was like, this is fucked up. <laughs> That's but, crazy. Yeah, it's a weird one. But I think that show, I don't know, like New York culture, etc. Going from Denmark, going to London, going to out there. What's been the thing like that New York has that these other places don't? That is positively different, you mean? Mm. Oh, give me whatever you got. Oh, okay. Let me know. <laughs> Let me know. Because I'm interested in New York. She seems scary. Yeah. She seems scary. But like there's a lot of promise if you can dig in and find your community. And it mm -hmm. seems like you're really starting to do that. Yeah, I think... When I first moved there, I thought the constant, well, one thing that was insanely negative to me was the constant human suffering that you see. Yeah. And you don't yeah. see that here. You don't see that in, definitely not in Scandinavia, right? Mm. And that was hard to deal with. So I came from, I feel like I've been in such protected spaces. So mm. getting into New York where it's a constant hustle, people are really suffering. I moved there post COVID. You know, the, Mental institutions got emptied out because of COVID because they couldn't mm, like have people, people there. Are on the street. And now those people are just on the street and it's it's horrendous. So mm. dealing with that was a lot. And I think feeling physically unsafe a lot mm, when you're coming mm -hmm. back from shows late mm -hmm. at night was a lot. I never felt really unsafe here or in Denmark or anywhere really. Because, you know, you're always like, okay, well, I guess I don't walk down through this dark alley. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You should be yeah. able to, but you know that you probably shouldn't. Um, mm -hmm. in New York or just everywhere like is a dark alley yeah yeah like what know? the fuck did I do yeah. I think out here the most um, unsafe that I will feel is um, 
I'll be like, oh, you should have been holding this uh, cell phone in a really obvious snatching position. (laughs) I was like, oh, you might as well just hand it to him. But that's mostly what I feel is that someone, some like youth on a bike is going to ride by and just like snatch my phone. For sure. But I don't really feel like anyone's going to snatch me, which is nice. Right. (laughs) 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 That is nice. Um, I want to ask you about um, Laughter Change, Mm. which is a gig that you started when you were here um, and that you've brought over to the States. Can you tell us, like, what it is and why you started it? Sure, yeah. When So I started it because in 2016, I when the refugees were coming in from Syria, I um, went down. They, they needed people to come and work in the refugee camps to do, like, manual labor. Mm. Just, you know, distribute food and make sure the people that were coming in with the boats were okay. Wait, so, how did you get involved with that? Well, I just... There were, people around me that were, they were making these calls, right, for like Syrian refugees. So we just got in contact with some of the grassroots organizations. Mm. And we were like, okay, it looks like you need help. Should we come? And they were like, yes, please do come. So a group of us from Cambridge actually went down. And I w- because I'm Kurdish, there was like language, a connection, like mm. cultural, you know, similarities. Mm. So I was able to like translate and talk to people. Um, so that was when I went down there. We were there for like a couple of weeks just helping out. And it was just horrifying just seeing how what conditions people were living in. Mm-hmm. Like children not having shoes, right? And it's it's cold in Greece and like on the beach is where they were staying. We go up to UNHCR and we tell them, hey, look, these people need shoes. And they'd be like, oh, we, we don't have any shoes. The UNHCR Oof. doesn't have shoes, Oof. really? You don't have money for shoes? Mm. So the Human Rights Commission. Yeah. It's, it's the UN human, uh, no, it's the Refugee Council, basically, okay, the UN's, okay. yeah. And so I, you had to step in again. Again. <laughs> so I came back to, to Cambridge, and I was so miserable about this. And I felt like mm. I really abandoned my people, you know? Mm. Like, I got to just leave, and they were just stuck there. So I, uh, because I had just recently gotten into comedy, I was talking to this girl, that the Portland woman, mm. and I was like, what do, what do we do? How can we raise money? And she was like, let's put on a comedy show. So a fundraiser. Did a uh, fundraiser. I went up, like hosted the show. It was really fun. And I was like my third ever show. Mm. So then I started doing these regularly. It's like, okay, we just continuously send money. Brilliant. And we got this. We built, I, initially it was just me, right? The first two years, I'm sure you know, would fuck it up. Initially, mm. it's just you. Mm-hmm. You're like, I have this thing I want to do. And I was basically making connections with, um, I had made connections with these local vendors in Greece, in those on those islands, mm. who were also suffering economic, financially because mm. of the economic crisis that Greece was mm-hmm, experiencing. Mm-hmm. So I used them as local vendors. So I would specifically buy from them. And then the oh, grassroots that we work with would collect it and distribute Take it. To, oh, brilliant. So no middleman, no, yeah. no cost of, of operation at all. So we were able to, and all the comics that were involved were always just doing it for, mm-hmm. you know, to support the cause, right? No one mm-hmm. was making any money off of this. And the Cambridge colleges were really supportive. They were like, yeah, just use these venues for free, mm. and ticket the events, sell alcohol. It's so um, rightfully beautiful what can be achieved in the name of giving. Mm-hmm. Um, the word that's coming to me was charity, but I feel like sometimes charity can sound like such a weird word. Yeah. But like... 
And I know, like, you know, for comics, I don't know about you, but, like, if I hear that there's, like, a charity gig going on, you're like, oh, great. If I do, like, a few of those a month, I feel like a better person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And sometimes you need the stage time, right? Sometimes Mm, it's just mm. also for you. It's It's a gig. Yeah, it's a gig. Yeah, and a gig that actually does something. Yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant. And the energy in those rooms, I know that Laugh for Change shows were always amazing. Mm. The energy was always electric. Because people wanted to be there. People wanted to support the cause. Mm. A lot of there was like friends of friends of friends and people, mm-hmm. you know, would come out for it. And I, I think we rarely had a bad show. It was always such good energy. And um, it started in Cambridge. And then I started getting in contact with people in different universities. It's like, hey, do you want to organize a show at your university? We'll bring mm. out a Laugh for Change team. So we started, We by the time, before the pandemic, we had 10 universities and we Brilliant. had reps at different universities that yeah. would organize regular shows. We managed to raise some, like we managed to create something, I think. And I had like a really solid committee of people that were like really, you know, out there. You say there. had. Had, yeah. Unfortunately, when the pandemic hit, we mm. had to stop all our operations because mm. we couldn't do live comedy anymore. Yeah, yeah. And the universities were the last places to allow Live oh, events. Oh, okay, yeah, because yeah. of the the way the numbers can spread like really quickly yeah. in the settings. Yeah, and the universities were a hub, right? They were like new students were coming in, COVID cases were going up, and yeah, yeah, it, it happened yeah. again and again. So they didn't let any live events happen for a long time. Mm. But we've had some shows in at UCL happen since as well. While after I moved away, I still had a rep at UCL who organized a comedy show, so that was really cool. And then I took it to New York. I got in contact. I did the same thing. I essentially got in contact with Amnesty. Mm. They used to work with us here. So I used to, I went contact with Amnesty at Columbia and NYU. I was like, hey, do you guys want to co-organize a comedy show? Do it for, so like I, I, I got the venue, I got the comics, and they got the, the people. So, you know, together we had these shows. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm thinking about, Two things at the moment. One is just how action-oriented you are. Mm. Like, it just seems like you're like, see a problem, jump on it. Right. I'm the kind of ruminator. I'm like, see a problem, think about it a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's so cool. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey. 
it's me, Kima B, letting you know that if you like listening to us fuck it up in your house, if you like listening to us fuck it up in your car or on your train, you will absolutely love being in the room where it happens. We usually record our episodes in London in front of a live audience, and let me tell you, it's one of the most beautiful audiences I've ever seen, and I would love for you to join us. For more info, check out Fuck It Up Comedy on Insta or Twitter, or go to fuckitupcomedy.com. Mm-hmm. So you do laugh for change, uh, fuck it up. You are doing what? What else are you up to? So I also started a new show that's starting on Friday. Yeah, this coming Friday called Diversity Hire. Mind you, it's Tuesday and you're here. And isn't yeah. there like a fuck it up this week on as Thursday? Well? Yeah, when so I arrive, you're yeah. getting back on Thursday. Going to do host fuck it up that yeah. night. Then the next day you're launching a new night. Yeah. Bitch, you need a nap. (laughs) (laughs) So that's like three nights. And of course, there's your own career, right? Because what some people may not know is that like you don't um, always, I think the the work that you put into hosting a night that platforms other people um, is quite a lot of work and Mm -hmm. it doesn't always like directly contribute to your growth and so you're also feeding your own you're also feeding your own comedy career right like I you know try to perform places where I can get comedy reels so that I can Mm. grow my following and Mm. I have a podcast called Let's Hookah um, Mm. where I have sick yeah I have people Let's Hookah yeah exactly we should be hookahing right now this could be a crossover if only we had a hookah it would be great that would be so cool right it just I should just have a portable hookah and just take just a little mini hookah. Yeah. Shisha on the go. <laughs> exactly. I should actually do that. I should look into that. That'd be fun. It's an investment. It's a business expense. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do with this tiny hookah? It's also a microphone and it's for my podcast. <laughs> that would be a great invention. You know if you could have the hookah pipe also be your microphone? Yes, yes. <laughs> just speak into it, but you not slurp it on. Right. Oh, why do I like the word slurping well, so much? Slurp? I don't know. No, I don't I got <gasps> slurping on my mind. <laughs> trying, to slurp on, trying to slurp on some derp. <laughs> God, absolute madness. So, yeah. So, like, how do you balance working on all those shows with work? My work at the moment is a lot of just, like, waiting around for things to happen. Mm. So I have way more time than I would usually have. Okay, but you know I want the specifics. What are you waiting around for what to happen? Okay, okay. I found your job so interesting. I okay. love it. So, okay, <laughs> uh, let, me, let me give you some more details. So I work with these these proteins in the brain that yeah. we think are important for development, for like the brain circuits to form. You know, you see those like images of neurons connecting, boop, yeah. boop, boop, like lights going up. So for those connections to be made, we think these proteins are involved in that. Great. So I am now making these, we work with mice, which I know some people Some are, people hate when you work with mice. Yeah, but some people love when you... Uh, have a stroke and there is a cure. Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> <laughs> True. Right? True. Right? Had to get that somehow. <laughs> Most people do enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. So I'm um, working with these mice and I'm basically genetically altering their their genome so that yeah. so that they don't have these proteins in the brain. Okay. And why? Because we think that when these proteins don't work well, is when you get neuropsychiatric disease like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, okay, autism. Yeah. And we're trying to see what what happens to these mice if we just delete these proteins from some of the cells. Is that going to be a circuit failure? 
yeah. is that electricity between the brain not going to work well. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're doing these experiments. I'm doing these experiments now. In order for those experiments to happen, I have to like wait for like three months mm-hmm. because we're making the mice, right? Mm-hmm. We're like mm-hmm. breeding them for this purpose. Mm. So it's a lot of waiting around. It's a lot of just like, okay, I think this is the experiment I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. This is, oh, let me just do this little trial to see if it works. And then like, it's a lot of just that kind of stuff. So I have mm. way more time. Is it needed. kind of that thing where there will be long periods of waiting and then kind of like big, like busy yeah. periods? Yeah, yeah, okay. for sure. For sure. And in those busy periods, obviously, like you have to like restructure so- mm. some of prioritize. Mm-hmm. I'll spend more time in the lab. But the beauty of doing all this production, doing all the comedies, it's an evening thing. Mm-hmm. I never have to actually compromise my daytime work for the evening stuff. Because, you know, you know, when you don't have your family around, you don't have a partner, like mm-hmm. you don't have anyone to really. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it means you can spend your evenings doing just mm-hmm. all these things. You don't have to spend time on anyone. And then my friends, I fit in when, you know, it works. Right. Mm. That's the beauty of that. How do you like, do you find that you're able to get the rest that you need? I feel like, okay, I'm starting to project now. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's hard for me to feel like I'm actually on top of the many things that I am doing, want to do, am supposed to do, should be doing. Mm-hmm. It, it, it feels like it's hard to actually keep up and to remain rested. Um, I am surprised by how, like, I don't say necessarily how tired I get, but how much energy some things take. And just like, how do you manage all these things? Are you like a super organized person? Do you need lots of sleep? I Are am, you on drugs? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually not. Like, I don't need a lot of sleep. I'm not someone who does sleep a lot. Mm. Like, I just need quality me time. So that mm-hmm. that's how I feel rested. If I can spend like, Sunday afternoon, go for a long run and like really clear my head, come back and, you know, have a slow day into the evening. That's how I rest. I don't need a lot of rest because I Give it to me. feel really um, content being busy. Yes. So okay. that's sort of how I it's not uh, It's not stressful for no. you to be busy. It's your pace. Right. And there are times where I'm, of course, overwhelmed, right? If I'm, mm-hmm. you have a lot of, if I have a lot of high stakes events happening mm-hmm. back to back, mm-hmm. I'm like freaked out. And I, it's, there's, then I, I need to sort of do my own thing, like mm-hmm. really retract and, and have a think about everything, but, um, and deprioritize some, some stuff and prioritize some other stuff. For instance, with this new show on Friday, I know how it's going to go. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's not a high stakes event whereas yeah. for me fuck it up is it was one of those mm. things i wanted to be good every mm. time i wanted to be at a certain standard well, you know you. now obviously because because you have this you have this legacy mm. and i want that to continue oh, thanks man absolutely thank you for like asking because i i want it to uh serve not just this community and so i really appreciate you bringing it into that community mm-hmm. And I want to ask you, like, how has it been for you? How has it been received? Mm -hmm. And why? Why did you go, fuck it up, like, could fit here, should be here? Because to me, I think to a lot of people, like the UK, okay, um, no offense to the British listening, (laughs) the way that the UK um, discusses race, handles race, 
um, and whatnot can be very mm, passive, um, can be very indirect. Right. Um, and so it is very clear that this is the kind of country um, and that even though it's London, that London is the kind of city that can benefit from a show that boldly says, we platform women, non-binary, trans comedians of color. Right. That's what we do. We're not going to apologize for it. We're creating a space where, you know, performers of color and audience members of color are um, prioritized. That's what we're up to and we're having a great time. Um, and that's almost shocking. Um, but it seems like in America, like, do you know what I mean? So I just want to know, like, why, how, how's it going? Yeah, absolutely. I think when I arrived there and I saw the comedy circuit and I was like, oh, okay, there are some brown shows. Um, There are some black shows. There are some queer shows. Mm. But you are not, there's no unity. Mm -hmm. It seemed like everyone is in in their own fractions. Comics compete a lot with each other. There's less support. Mm -hmm. And I started seeing it. You know, my friends were like, oh, wow, okay. There was one person of color on the sign-up. I'm not going to get on. And they were like, yeah. And they were like, yeah, exactly. I won't get on. And and audience members, like friends I brought to shows were like, why is it always like the POC person is the funniest person on the Mm sign-up? But there's Mm -hmm. only one of them, right? It's Mm -hmm. like there's there's a token. And I remember how I felt when I first started doing Fuck It Up. The first time I went on Fuck It Up show, you had your new act night, I think. Mm. And I did that and I was like, whoa, this audience gets it. This Mm, audience is here here to support and Mm. be a part of this. And all the comedians are so supportive. And then I did the second show and I did the French Fuck It Up. And I was like, it was the same love and energy in the room every time. Mm. And I really craved that. I was like, People here are not, they don't understand what they're missing out on. That there can't Each other. Actually, exactly. Ooh. Ooh, that there can't be unity yeah. amongst, you know, femme comics yeah. of color, right? And there can be this space that is ours where you come out to support this mm-hmm. cause and you all support each other. And I realized like some, you know, w- there were some POC f- female comics that were kind of competing with me a little bit mm-hmm. and there was like oh it's another brown curly hair mm-hmm. brown woman you know and because what's sad about that one. is ultimately like it's like we have to hold that individual accountable while at the same time looking at the larger system and structure that made them think that way exactly and oh, yeah. oh. And it's, it's so problematic so i wanted to i was very adamant that i don't play that game mm. i don't i don't you know, be mm-hmm. a part of that. I don't want to tr- treat other women of color that way. So I was like, you know, fuck it up could be an example of how mm. you can actually be together and you can like push the boundaries of comedy as well in this space where a woman of color is one person mm-hmm. on the lineup. Mm-hmm. So, and it doesn't have to be black show, brown show, queer show. Mm-hmm. It can be all of this mm-hmm. together. So I, I really think uh, fuck it up serves a purpose there. Mm. And it's not... I didn't want it to be this indie show deep down mm-hmm, in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. It's an established show in mm-hmm. Manhattan, right? That's I wanted to, to have that vibe, what you've created here. And I think people are really responding to it. You know, I get a lot of uh, people always comment on it when they come, a, come to do a show. Mm. Everyone appreciates that the audience is there for the purpose. Yeah. 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 
they are there to fuck with these people, right? Yeah. Oh, because there's nothing worse to me as a comic. And it's like, we know that it's like technically, I guess, a part of the job. But when I get in front of an audience of people that are like, impress me. Mm-hmm. Or like, like not engaged, not here, not for it. And the thing is, I don't, what I appreciate about the fucking up audience here, and it sounds like you've created the same vibe, um, is it's not like they are um, super nice. Right. It's not that they're super easy, but they didn't come to have a bad time. Right. And they didn't come to see someone fail or embarrass themselves. Mm-hmm. They came to see, you know, these comedians of color who aren't cis men being fucking excellent. Right. And I think, like, that goodwill that thing of like I want you to win is so important and it feels like a treat when sometimes as a comic you do go up in front of audiences that are standoffish or audiences that are super white looking at you like what is this bitch about to say right 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 yeah yeah can I ask you what is your like what is your big dream um, and I feel like it's like a vague question um, and we don't always need to be super like goal oriented or trying to go somewhere. But at present, yeah, what do you feel like you want from all this comedy stuff, from all right. this science stuff? Right. Like your your ideal, okay, this is a very regular age to be, but it's just not where we are. When you're like in your like mid 50s, like how, right. do you, how do you see it? What do you want it to be like? Mm. I, in an ideal world, I want the comedy to be the main thing mm. and the science to be the hobby. Mm. Right now, sometimes it feels like the, I have to spend the same energy on both. Yeah. Initially, it was just uh, science was the main thing, comedy mm-hmm. was the hobby. But I want those to reverse. Just because I, I treat everything that I love as a hobby. Mm. Like I do it because I love it, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm, I've gotten to a place where I feel like comedy is so rewarding. It's It's so... Um, you know, it's, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, when you, you know, when you're a woman of color, mm. it gives you a platform to mm-hmm. say things, to, to think things and, and mm-hmm. just be unapologetic about them. And I, it's something that I really value because in the space of science, there's no, I can't be that person, mm-hmm. right? You always, it, it's a whole different world, but that's what I want from my comedy is to basically be out and about, perform every night, not having to always you know hustle the way I do now right Mm -hmm. to get on shows but Mm -hmm. being at a place where everyone knows you kill every show so Mm -hmm. you get booked every night and you make money off of those shows like that's your regular income and you go on tour you do Mm -hmm. a special like that's that's the life I just had I kid you not while you're talking there I just had a little moment where um I was in the audience in an arena and I was watching a big show (laughs) um I don't know how you feel about a pantsuit but you were in one and your hair was like a little gray (laughs) I love pantsuits and my hair is already gray such a vibe (laughs) such a vibe oh um will you mind thinking of a moment that is fucking incredible well I'll hit you with the yeah, actually, you know what I thought that was fucking incredible? It was the when we had the first Fuck It Up show. And like the day, night before the show, I was like, oh, I don't know if we're going to get more than like 15 people. And then yeah. 40 people came to the show. Incredible. We packed out and the energy was just electric. And I think that was fucking incredible. 
I love that. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't have anything fun to say, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having this chat with me. Like, I'm inspired by how action oriented you are. I think we might be built differently. I think I'm more of a like rest and then go. <laughs> like, I definitely. No, you'd sleep, but maybe I have too much. But <laughs> I really like respect so much about how you operate and how you do. And I'm so grateful to you for bringing Fuck It Up to the States. Um, I'm not in America, but it does mean a lot to me. And to have something that I started here be there, but also being led by a person who is so capable, I, I feel like very safe with this being in your hands and I'm just so grateful that we've been able to connect that yeah. you saw the importance of what we're doing um, and that we're able to grow and rise together because that's the thing about being I think uber competitive with other uh, people in your industry is um, you know when we think about that 55 when we think about 10 20 years from now I want my people there with me. Right. Right. I want right. us to all be excelling mm -hmm. um, and killing it. And so I'm excited to be on this journey with you. And thank you so much for being here and chatting thank to me. Thank you. Thank you for having me and letting me, you know, lead your baby into the U.S. Uh, oh, into the future, so, baby. It's amazing. It's been amazing. Thank you. Um, Anything that people can uh, support online? How can they find you, connect with you? Yeah, they could um, follow me on Instagram, Jansu Distat, C-A-N-S-U-D-I-S-T-A-T, or on TikTok, where I'm trying to build a following. It's a lot of reels and content, so, Sounds so hard. Do, do follow me on Jansu Comedy. I have a podcast called Let's Hookah. Let's Hookah! And it's just me sitting with comics in my, in my living room, smoking hookah and talking. I love that. Chatting, yeah. That's, That's me. That's so great. Jansu, yeah. thank you so much. Wow. Oh, big thanks to Jensu. Um, you know, when you have an idea that someone is awesome, but you just, you're, you're not sure how awesome. Uh, I feel like I just got a bit more of an idea of like how dope Jensu is and how truly fortunate I am to have her as a comrade in comedy, but also I was a part of the Fuck It Up family. Um, it's, it's so mad. Like people are so cool every day. Every day. <laughs> um, as usual, you'll know the incredible comics you've heard uh, through this season. Like over 50 comics you've heard through this season all have projects that you can enjoy and support. So follow them online, especially Jensu. And um, if you are in the States or know anyone who's going through New York, tell them to check out uh, Fuck It Up NYC and all the other great things that she's doing out there. Um, thank you so much for being a part of this first season. Um, yeah, like, it really is kind of emotional. This has been... Um, tough it's taking a lot of work from your girl um it has I, I don't say that to be like oh i hate work um but i'll just be tired um but it's it's been so beautiful and to share space with so many people and to be able to extend the arms of what we do at the films of color comedy club to like, extend that beyond the walls you know beyond like 
the physical spaces that we hold and to be able to share that with people all over the world and to see you listening appreciating it sending us nice messages um becoming fans of these people seeing yourselves in some of these people and getting to know about the perspectives of others like it's just really fucking beautiful and i'm really grateful to have been able to do this and to be able to share it with you and next season you can definitely look forward to um more this guy (laughs) more incredible comedians of color who are not cis men yeah baby see you in february Um, i'll be in your ears in february and between now and then there'll be shows blah 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 blah. bye (laughs)